Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Thank you for listening to the Meritage Resort Podcast, coming to you from the beautiful Napa Valley. Season one, the Chardonnay Classic. Hello, everyone. We have some fun news. The Meritage Resort and Spa and Vista Colina Resort are now one property, perfectly named the Meritage. One destination, two luxury resorts. And now your host, Ben Lazzarini. Welcome to the Meritage Resort Podcast. You're listening to Episode 5 of the Chardonnay Classic Series. I am your host, Ben Lazzarini. So for those of you who are just joining us for your first time, as mentioned before, this is Episode 5. If you're looking for a general overview of the Chardonnay Classic, check out Episode 1. If you're looking to learn more about the altruistic nature of the Chardonnay Classic and the donation that's going to the Somme Foundation, check out episode two, where we interviewed Master Sommeliers Thomas Price and Jay Fletcher. And if you'd like to learn more about the gourmet nature of the event, and specifically the menu pairings and what's in store for the lunches and dinners, check out episode three, where we interviewed the Meritage Resort chefs. And on episode four... We talked to Robert Bondanza of the Meritage Resort, who ran us through the amenities, the various venues, the rooms, everything that the guests have to look forward to from an accommodation standpoint. Today, we are ecstatic to have two of the producers that are going to be featured throughout the weekend at the Chardonnay Classic at both a at both the panel tastings and also at two of the lunches, one on Friday, one on Saturday. They are Costa Brown and Katana Zapata. We have Regina Sands, the Senior Estate Director from Costa Brown, which is located in Sebastopol in Sonoma County. And from Katana Zapata, we're going to have Maria Karkazis joining us. Uh, and for those who aren't aware of Catena, they are from the Southern Hemisphere in Argentina. They're one of the most well-known producers out of that country. So we're ecstatic to have them both join us today. And without further ado, let's welcome Regina to the show. Regina, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, delighted to have you. So let's start by running through your, you know, your role with Costa Brown. How are you involved with the winery? What's your, we know you're senior estate director, but what does that actually translate to on a day-to-day basis? Sure thing. Uh, well, first off, we are more than thrilled to be part of the Chardonnay Classic. I think that it's such a profoundly important grape and it doesn't quite get the love that it should, in my opinion, especially in California. Um, so while, while Costa Brown is, is known for Pinot Noir, Chardonnay is uh, near and dear to all of our hearts. So uh, I was thrilled for us to be able to participate, but also I personally love Chardonnay quite a bit. Uh, But backing up a step, my my role as Senior Estate Director is very much all things sales, marketing, hospitality, and then a liaise to our wholesale arm in terms of how we talk about Costa Brown, how we go to market, and how we ultimately find new customers to come into the fold of the winery. So uh, if, if you kind of think about a winery like a restaurant, uh, we have Julian, who is our winemaker. He's the he's the head chef, and I'm in charge of all the other stuff. So yeah. that's the best way to equate it, I suppose. 
Yeah, boots on the ground operator, kind of keeping everything cohesive and moving forward, I guess, is the way to sum it up. You got it. You got it. And, and a fair amount of travel as well to be able to go tell the story of Costa Brown outside of the walls of the winery. So it's a, it's a pretty dynamic role. It's nice. A, so when you go on those travels and you talk about Costa Brown, I mean, what is that narrative? What What is Costa Brown's you know heritage, how we how it got started, and what's your focus now as far as wine style, varietals, so on and so forth? Absolutely. Um, History of Kibbe is is near and dear to my heart because it started out by two gentlemen, one named Dan Costa and Michael Brown, and they actually worked in a restaurant together in Sonoma County at John Ash, uh, and they had this dream of making their own wine, and they collected their tip money, pooled it together, and managed to save up enough money to buy their very first barrel of grapes to be able to try to start making wine. Uh, and, and sort of the entrepreneurial spirit of that, my, my favorite part of the story is they actually bottled that first barrel of Sauvignon Blanc and took it tableside in shiners. And then, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, as somebody who's former restaurant myself, there's some hustle in that. And, uh, and they convinced their top customers to be those 51st investors in Costa Brown. So there, there's a long history of, of hospitality and community and, and really getting a project off the ground. And, and I think we've really kept that spirit alive. And so when I'm traveling around, it's, it's telling that story. It's, um, it's telling the story of Pinot Noir really for us is, was that grape that was the desired grape always. Sauvignon Blanc is what they could get their hands on, but then they quickly were able to pivot to Pinot Noir because they loved the variety so much. Uh, but this is in 1997 and there wasn't a lot of Pinot Noir really yet in Northern California being grown at a super high quality level, other than William Salyum and some other great um, producers in the area, there, there weren't a lot, not the Russian River Valley or Sonoma County that we know today. So they were really some of those innovators and entrepreneurs to help create the, the Pinot Noir industry, we'll say. And if I'm not mistaken, just speaking to the fact that they were um, kind of establishing Pinot Noir as being a world-class varietal um, that can be grown within the California region, am I, they won wine spectators wine of the year in 2011 is that correct you're correct it was the 2009 vintage of the sonoma coast appalachian wow. wine yep and uh, and won that award for wine spectator and it, it really created this special following and we have a really active um direct allocation list of our customers and that's been hugely in part because of dan and michael's relationships that they built through restaurants and through customers and through traveling to various wine dinners and auctions and donations and charity events. And it's, it's been a, a pleasure for me the last five years to really continue that, that journey and that story on their behalf. Yeah. Great. And if you had to succinctly talk about your wine style, I know obviously it's going to be very much site driven, especially when you're producing wines um, of the caliber that Costa Brown is producing, but how would you put it, you know, for the listener's sake relative to the broader market, well, how would you describe Costa Brown's wine style? Um, I think elegant intensity, a balance between restraint and um, uh, deliciousness, I suppose, is the best way to say it. Uh, when when we originally started out making Pinot Noir, we were really only making it from two regions, from Russian River Valley and from the Sonoma Coast broader ADA. Uh, and then over the last 10 years, we've really expanded, I suppose it was a little longer than that, but we expanded into Santa Lucia Highlands. Uh, and worked with the Francioni and Pizzoni families, the Gary's Vineyard, Rosello's Vineyard, some pretty impressive, uh, and Pizzoni Vineyard. Those have, those have been a long, a long-standing relationships in that area. 
And then, then from there, we expanded into Anderson Valley with Cerise Vineyard and then now into Santa Rita Hills as well with some vineyards in that area. So it, it's definitely been a story of finding Pinot Noir in the best places in Northern California or in California period as we moved into Southern California. Uh, and the most recent exciting news is we've actually crossed the ocean to Burgundy and we're now making wines in Burgundy as well, which is, is really exciting. We haven't yet made wow. wines, but uh, it's exciting. But Very cool. A big Very part cool. of our story uh, has been Chardonnay, actually. A lot of folks don't even know that we make Chardonnay, uh, mostly because I think Pinot Noir has been such a profoundly big impact on the world, and Dana Michael did such a great job. But in 2009, after getting, uh, well, 2009 first vintage, but especially in 2011, after getting the award, Michael sort of looked at the winemaking team and said, I'm tired of pouring other people's Chardonnay and winemaker <laughs> We have all these great relationships. We have all these great vineyard sites. They also make Chardonnay at a lot of the vineyards that produce Pinot Noir. So we should, we should really start making wines from these vineyards. And uh, I, I think if Michael were on today with me, he'd probably say it, it was not the priority for a long time. Uh, fast forward to 2012, 13, 14, 15, there were some guys in the cellar working under Michael, uh, specifically Julian Halsepian, who is our, our current head winemaker, came up working under Michael. And Julian's family, he has uh, heritage in Burgundy, loves Chardonnay himself, and really leaned into our Chardonnay program. So I'd say probably 2014-15, we really started to see our Chardonnays made in a, a to totally different way than perhaps we did initially, keeping that acidity and freshness and picking much earlier and doing native ferments and really letting the grape itself sing versus leaning on an oak program. So I think from a stylistic standpoint, our Chardonnay is, is perhaps a departure from what most might assume California Chardonnay tastes like. So I think that's, that's exciting, really letting sight tell the story of Chardonnay in the same way that we do for Pinot Noir. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's also uh, a fantastic reason as to why it's going to be so much fun to taste a KB Chardonnay in the around the world tasting on Friday, because it is going to be such an incredible expression of sight for California. That's going to be going, you know, comparatively next to some other incredible expressions throughout the world. Um, so it'd be very, I'm very, I personally, I'm very excited to try all of the wines. Uh, but I'm, I'm also really curious to see how California stacks up, you know, from a minerality standpoint, um, against some of these other fine examples coming from out the world. And speaking of Julian, the winery is kind enough to lend us him for both the panel tasting on Friday, which is the around the world, but then also Friday's lunch. And I believe that menu has just been finalized. So we know what wines are going to be poured. We talked about the menu with the chefs a couple episodes ago, but let's talk about the wines. So what do we have lined up as far as the wine pairings for Friday's lunch with Julian? Pretty special lineup. Uh, my, my own background is working as a sommelier in restaurants. So I was especially excited anytime we get to do really thoughtfully curated wine food pairings. Uh, and it was so kind for the, the culinary team to really be thoughtful about the dishes to prepare. And I'm really excited about the wines that we pulled together. Um, we'll start with our 116 Appalachian Series Chardonnay, the 2019 vintage. It's that beautiful first course. Then we'll move into our 2017. We thought it'd be nice to bring a library vintage of this very special wine from Cerise Vineyard that has this incredible cherry flavor component to it that uh, I, I think is a little bit psychosomatic maybe for me because Cerise actually needs cherry. <laughs> 
the the dish has a cherry component to it. I believe in the uh, in the sauce of this the the uh, dish that's being prepared for that day. So I'm really excited to see how that wine is tasting. It's a um, for reference that 2017 Cerise. Our our allocation list has become a bit of a uh, a cult classic following, if you will. Um, it, it's uh, essentially the way you become a member of Casa Brown is you give us your name and email and we put you in the queue. And as your number comes up, you have the option to purchase wines. And then over time, the more you engage and choose to purchase the various wines that we offer you, the sooner you may have access to wines that we make very, very small amounts of. Cerise, for an example, it takes about six years to be able to purchase this wine. Wow. Wow. Which makes this even more compelling from a listener standpoint to attend because you're essentially getting a sneak peek at what you're going to have to wait a couple of years to be able to buy directly from the winery, which is awesome. And I'm looking at the menu just to tack on to what you said. There's actually going to be two iterations of cherry component with this menu pairing. So it's roasted pork tenderloin with pork belly, cherry relish, edamame puree, and then also a cherry demi-glaze. So it's going to be Killer, killer combo. Cool. Very excited. And then to finish this off with the cheese dish, we're going to do, I believe, 2019 vintage of Gap's Crown Pinot Noir. Did I get that right? Is it the night? Yep. yep. Great. Um, and, and that wine is just such a, a classic expression of Costa Brown. Um, you know, I, I think for folks that have been enjoying our wines for many, many years, we have had uh, the the pleasure of making wines from the Gaps Crown Vineyard for a long time. And it's great to be able to see what that expression looks like every year. I think the 19 vintage in particular has this beautiful blue fruit characteristic, like a dark blueberry or a, a really pungent blackberry that I think will pair really nicely with, with a cheese course to have some of those tannic structure. Uh, Pinot Noir sometimes is hard to get tannin from the grape, um, especially when we're talking about, um, you know, grapes from all, all parts of the world, but it's, it's not a tannin forward grape like Cabernet Sauvignon might be. So Gap's Crown, however, just the way that that vineyard is planted and the fact that it was always intended and planted to Pinot Noir, it really gets some of those Grand Cru-esque tannin qualities from it. So it's, and 19 vintage especially, it was such a phenomenal vintage for that vineyard that it'll be a great thing to finish off lunch with. Nice. Very excited. I, I'm, I'm already salivating <laughs> for, for the wines and for the menu. And in looking at, we shared some text sheets about the wines and I was perusing them. And I noticed one thing that stood out to me is on the 2019-116 Chardonnay, which is the opening wine for the lunch, there is a five-week period for harvest there. What's the intent behind that? Uh, well, the five-week harvest is a is a great question in the sense that one thing that really differentiates Costa Brown from a lot of other wineries is that while not the easiest thing in the world to do, definitely something we feel is very important is we actually ferment on individual clonal selection wow. as opposed to fermenting on an entire vineyard or even down to a block, we go down to that individual clone. Uh, this is obviously very important from the Pinot Noir side of things and could go into an entire TED talk on the subject, <laughs> uh, which I have to do at some point. Um, but the but the idea is that when you're bringing in an individual clonal selection and you're able to ferment at that very granular level, you have a lot more opportunity for blend material when you actually go to make the various wines. Um, and Chardonnay, same thing. So essentially that means we might harvest the same vineyards over the course of many weeks because individual clones might... Uh, 
ripen or be appropriate to how we want to bring it into the cellar at a different time. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see the kind of complexity you're getting out of that, but also the fact that this is a blend with some of the biggest names from Sonoma County, including Richie, Heinz, Zio Tony. I mean, it, it sounds like to me this wine is just going to have a lot of electric tension, but also a ton of complexity. I mean, is that right? Absolutely. One of my favorite yeah. ones of the lineup and, and a, a story for another time, but actually the reason that I came to work for Costa Brown, this wine just surprised me in such a, not this particular vintage, but the 116 Chardonnay. It just surprised me in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting from a California Chardonnay, whatever my perception might've been at that time. And I tasted it and it really just reframed my perception of what California Chardonnay could taste like. Yeah. And our next guest, in fact, that's, I had a, a epiphany moment like that um, with one of our next guest wines, uh, Katana's, and we'll be talking about that later on the show, but that's, that's a beautiful way of describing it as far as like being able to frame a wine that's so driven on site and that kind of redefines the category. Um, it's incredible when you encounter those. And so talking about the Friday around the world. So after lunch, Julian's going to be making his way to the panel. He's going to be joining the Psalm Foundation, the Master Psalms, who are going to be leading that panel and that seminar. And um, we're going to have a 2018 Costa Brown El Diablo Vineyard Chardonnay. So let's talk about that wine. What do we have to look forward to there? Well, first off, I'm a huge fan of California Chardonnays that are made that allow for a little bit of age. And I'm especially a 2018 vintage this wine is showing all of those beautiful complexity that usually we might find in wines from other parts of the world when intended to be aged. And it's still this bright, fresh uh, yellow apple and pear, but still a lot of acidity. And the overall complexity of this wine is, is really a really exciting conversation, I think, specifically being from, you know, Russian River Valley Vineyard, the El Diablo Vineyard. Uh, and, and it's a wine that really has been a, a totem for us at the winery. It, it, it created an entire new series of wines for us. Um, quick side story on this. Anytime we bring in various vineyards and we're deciding whether they should go into the 116 blend, sometimes you have that little, little blend from a vineyard that's just so good on its own. You're saddened to blend it off into the broader blend because you might lose some of those nuance and complexity. So the very first vintage of this wine, the 2015 vintage of the El Diablo, we essentially revolted, said we're not going <laughs> to And we made 50 magnums and drank <laughs> it all. Didn't sell a bottle. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Uh, Pitchfork uh, and torches from the team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, our CEO said, you know, maybe next time we should figure out a thoughtful way of selling this. So um, it actually spawned an entire new series for us that we call our observation series to be able to purchase the wine directly at the winery. And this wine is essentially what, what gave us that idea. And a um, it's a wine that uh, at that time we only made available at the winery and now we love it so much. We've started to release little bits of it out into the world. So it's a special wine and I'm excited. And I know it's a wine that Julian handpicked for this seminar. It's something he feels really strongly represents what Chardonnay winemaking at Costa Brown represents. So we're running out of time here. Regina, thanks so much for joining us. Is there anything else that you'd like to add as far as uh, Costa Brown is concerned? 
Uh, just thank you for involving us and including us and letting us have a platform to let people know that, yes, we do actually make a lot of Chardonnay at Castle Brown. A lot's maybe an exaggeration, but we do love it. It's a big part of things that make us happy at the winery, and it's exciting to be able to share with our customers. So it's it's a pleasure to be included in Chardonnay conversations and not just Pinot Noir. It, we're delighted to be partnering with you, and we can't wait to taste these wines. It's going to be and share them with the audience and the, and the listeners and the guests of the event. So thank you very much. Thank you. Let's welcome our next guest to the show, coming from Catena Zapata Winery out of Argentina, Maria Carcazes. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So before we dive into the wines, we have a lot of wines that we're going to be talking about here. Catena is going to be involved in a lunch. They're going to be featured on a couple panel-led tastings, and they're also going to be sponsoring one of the Anything But Chardonnay bars. But before we get into all those delicious details, Maria, tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to the winery. Yeah, so I have been working with Catena Zapata very closely since 2017 here in the United States through Wineboat Imports. And as you know, the Catena portfolio is an amazing portfolio, and it's very uh, it's got a range of different levels. Um, but I've been working specifically over the last five years for the promotion uh, of the high-end wines, uh, many of the wines that we'll be showing at the Chardonnay Classic for about 30 states in the U.S. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Nice. And the winery is located in Argentina. And in, in what, for those who aren't familiar with Argentinian wine, I mean, how important is Catena Zapata to the development of that wine region? And then also to, to showcasing, you know, there's one particular grape, I'll let you speak to it, um, in being Malbec, but also like showcasing the amazing potential of that varietal, which is so associated with that country? Well, the Catena family, as you know, goes back uh, to its roots in 1902 when they started their winery. So they're in their fourth generation to date. Um, Nicola Catena came from Lemarque with a dream to, to plant vineyards and to raise a family. And he landed in Mendoza as many Spaniards and Italians did at the turn of the century. Um, and where he went was Mendoza, which at the time was the traditional growing area which in essence is beautiful because it's a high altitude desert uh, that allows for just amazing uh, viticulture. And, and because of this unique environment, Nicolás Catena in the 1980s decided to really push uh, winemaking to the extreme in his search for making wines at a higher level. He, he was the first pioneer to really start extreme uh, elevation viticulture. So in the 80s, uh, he was actually very much uh, inspired by the movement in Napa and California with the Mondavi family and the Judgment of Paris and was actually here as a visiting scholar uh, in the 80s at, at UC Berkeley. And he went back after he was exposed to this and thought, well, why not? Why can't we do this in Argentina? So he sought off to, to improve winemaking styles. He, he kind of was the first to bring in you know, French barrels and cut back yields. So in essence, he's been um, a big pioneer in terms of revolutionizing not only high altitude viticulture, but just fine winemaking as a whole. Um, his daughter, Laura Catena, is the fourth generation vintner to this day, and she's very much involved not only in research and development for viticulture, but also for sustainability. Um, so the winery as a whole, through the four generations with Nicolas and with Laura, have really worked hard to just push that envelope and to really expand the, the footprint of 
the Argentine wine culture uh, outside their borders. Um, so yeah, in essence, you know, they were one of the first wineries to bring uh, wines to the U.S. from Argentina, and you would think it was with Malbec, but it was actually with Chardonnay and Cabernet, which <laughs> the Chardonnay and the Cabernet Classic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so very much a benchmark family in terms of not only the quality but continuing to push the envelope uh, uh, each year uh, as they can. Yeah. And in speaking to the portfolio, I mean, you mentioned that there's a pretty vast range just so listeners get an idea as far as like what that range consists of. I mean, in general, how many wines are, you know, active in the United States, you know, accessible to our listeners to go buy on any given day? Are we talking about 10, 20, 30 wines? It's about 30. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is, is that each of the the, the tiers of wines that we offer show the uniqueness and the diversity within Mendoza. So it can be based on, let's do clonal blends, let's do microclimate blends, let's look at, you know, a single parcel, extreme elevation, unique, you know, one of a kind Chardonnays, you know, and let's see what that tastes like. So really it's about 30 wines at price ranges from, you know, 20 to 25 going up to 365. with mostly, uh, we have a, a good range of Malbec. We have Chardonnay, Cabernet, some Cap Francs, and some blends as well. And speaking of one-of-a-kind wines, that's a perfect segue into the wine we're going to be featuring at the Around the World with Chardonnay tasting, and that's going to be the 2019 Catena White Bone. So I know that there's kind of a, I guess, a couplet or duo um, to this story in that there's a Catena white bones in a container white stones. We are very privileged to be able to showcase both of these wines throughout the weekend. We're going to talk about the white stones later, Um, but tell us about what makes this wine so special and kind of the story of how it all got started. Well, uh, well, thank you for that. Um, So what makes the wines from the Adriana vineyard so unique is really the soil. Uh, That vineyard, it's plant, it was planted in 1992 by Nicolas Catena and the, that was the pivotal vineyard to really push extreme altitude. So in the first years, it was experimental. And most people thought Nicolas was crazy and that grapes would not even ripen at that level. <laughs> and, and so after the first three years, they started to see, you know, wow, there's so much uh, diversity in the vineyard. Certain areas are, you know, flourishing. Others are not. Uh, and they had, you know, a consultant at the time that told them that they should just, you know, bulldozer everything and replant at almost, you know, 5,000 feet at this key vineyard. Um, and they decided to not do that. They decided to start really studying the vineyard and looking at it as maybe 300 vineyards in one. And because of that practice, that really gave birth to the single parcel wines of the Adriana Vineyard, which is where the white bones and the white stones uh, Chardonnays come from. And what they discovered over time is that this is a very unique vineyard that is, in essence, an ancient riverbed, an alluvial fan that is you can go from 30 feet to 40 feet away from one parcel to the next, and you can get completely different soil profiles and different expressions. So what the white stones uh, and the white bones, which come from the same plot, they actually have a little parcel that separates them. So it's under three hectares each plot, and they just taste completely different. So it's just really showcasing that not only the Chardonnay do really well in the extreme elevation of this vineyard, but um, that terroir exists as well. And that's what we like to try to express with these wines. Yeah. And when we say extreme elevation, what are we talking about as far as uh, feet or meters? How high is the site? Yeah. Sorry. I'm um, almost 5,000 feet. Just under. Wow. So that's almost a mile. It's almost a mile <laughs> high. Yeah. Yeah. 
crazy, crazy. Yeah. And is that, I mean, so, and, and again, I, I mentioned it earlier in the show and uh, in the show, excuse me, and we're going to talk about it later. Um, but the white stones, I, I was lucky enough to have the 2018 white stones at last year's Chardonnay classic. And that was just to stop me in my tracks. Like speaking to the fact that if this is a drive to riverbed, if I was served that wine blind, I would have been convinced it was from Europe. I mean, it had so much minerality to it and so much balanced acidity without like, you know, being closed. It was still so expressive. Um, it was an incredible wine. It's, it, I, I would say it's definitely one of my favorite New World Chardonnays I've ever had. I can't wait to try both the white bones and white stones and kind of see the nuances of those soil mm -hmm. types, even though they're coming from the same side and the same altitude. Um, but I mean, it's, it really is incredible how much that minerality shines through kind of unlike, you know, the typical paradigm you'd associate with a new world wine. So my hat's off to the team. I mean, I was absolutely blown away by the stones last year. So I can't wait to try this white bones this year. Super exciting. I know you and me both. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, an interesting thing to say too, about that vineyard, uh, is that because of the extreme elevation, uh, we get sometimes up to 30 days longer of hang time from the lower elevations of Mendoza, which in quote unquote lower would be around 2000 feet, right? So it's still pretty high. So given that uniqueness of, you know, slower ripening process, uh, longer hang times, really big diurnal shifts, um, controlled alcohol levels, you know, you're looking at wines that have 13 to 13.5 at most, sometimes under 13. Uh, it really just allows these wines to just really just evolve beautifully. And it's it's an amazing thing. Um, I could talk about that for, for quite a period of time, but I won't want to, I won't bore you with all those technical details. <laughs> so cool. Because um, we can go on for hours. Yeah, well, the listeners will be able to taste all those, you know, all the technical uh, distinctions at the event. So you, we can yeah. save those for then. And so that's going to be the wine that's featured at the Around the World Chardonnay. And then mm -hmm. we are lucky enough to also have a Catena lunch on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So let's quickly run through those wines. It looks like we have four wines lined up for that experience. Um, mm -hmm. And we're kicking things off with a new field blend. Yeah, and this wine is completely new. We uh, have just launched uh, in the last six months, the 2020 um, Appalachians Field Blend called White Clay. And what it is, it's it's really a historic blend. Um, so Semillon and Shannon have been planted together for quite some time. And outside of Torontes, this is the field blend we've been drinking in Argentina for, for decades. Uh, we thought it would be really cool to, to bring something unique and fun to the market and tell that history and that story. And so we thought that this would be really interesting to pull something from the portfolio that was maybe a little bit different, that could tell a little bit about the history. Um, and we've been having a lot of success with it. So it's a, it's a very small bottling. It's less than 5,000 cases, um, but it should be a lot of fun. And people are pretty from excited about it. From a taste profile, Semyon and Shannon might not be household names for domestic consumers. So taste profile, I mean, those not only are those kind of, you know, a little bit more foreign um, as far as accessibility within the marketplace, but then also mm -hmm. too, from a flavor profile, you're mixing two very distinct grapes together that you probably aren't going to see many blends of. What, is this, what does this wine taste like? Well, it's got some wonderful freshness. It's got some nice stone fruit, some citric notes, a little bit of blossom. Um, it's not super heavy in terms of oak. It's a very, very light oaking, and it's got a freshness that just like invigorates for the springtime, right? Which I thought would be a really wonderful uh, addition to, to the event. So we're pretty experimental with it. So there's like a little bit of amphora aging. There's a little bit of stainless steel, a little bit of oak. 
but it's just a wonderful fresh wine that has acid, but it's nothing too racy or over the top. Really nice uh, starting wine for an event or for for um, cocktail hour of any sort. So yeah, that sounds like it's going to pair beautifully with the first course. Okay, and then wine number two. What do we have in store? So the Alta Chardonnay is actually um, a high elevation Chardonnay. It comes from two vineyard lots, part from the Adriana Vineyard and part from the Domingo Vineyard. So basically what this is, is wonderful high acid Chardonnay, but it's barrel fermented, unlike the stones and the bones. So this has some new oak. So you're going to get that wonderful creamy-ness that we like in the new world style. You're going to get the wonderful acid and minerality from the old world style with some wonderful stone fruit um, and, and some weight, which is just really, really appealing. Um, this is one of our most popular Chardonnays, uh, and, and it does really well in all of the, the different types of dinner uh, pairings that we do, lunch pairings that we do. So, Fantastic. And then moving on to the third and fourth course, we're shifting into reds here. Mm-hmm. The first being a Malbec. Yeah. So the Alta Malbec is actually a blend of Malbec. So it's five lots of Malbec coming from five different vineyards that range from three to 5,000 feet. Uh, in elevation, which is a lot. And so basically what this offers is kind of like a little case study in understanding Malbec. So you can go from the lower elevations and get, you know, the darker fruit, the plum, a little bit of the white pepper, some of the spice, and then you can go to the higher elevations and you can get more uh, floral notes, perfumey notes, violet notes. And so what this is, is a, as a signature style that the Catena family loves is called microclimate blending. And so this is a blend of not only all the, the key lots of Malbec that are very historic to the family, but it also comes from one of the oldest vineyards uh, from the family, which was like kind of ground zero for all of the Malbec study that they did over the years where they found over 145 different clones of Malbec. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a story in a bottle because Not only does it talk about all of the work they did to really help promote Malbec and to understand vineyards at different elevations, but it's a bottling of all these key historic lots. So it's just really a treat. Okay, great. And then moving on to the final wine, this was a fan favorite. Oh, I should, I should say, I'm sorry, Ben. I got it. So so a little bit about Malbec before we move on. Um, So Malbec has a very, very long and illustrious history, which is also one of the reasons why we like to talk about it. So uh, here, you know, by history, it comes from the old world, from Cahors. It was used a lot in the old blends of Bordeaux. And at the time that they were, uh, they had the classification in 1850, 1852. So um, Malbec made its way to Argentina. And the Malbec that we have today is actually predominantly pre-phylloxetic clones of Malbec, which is really cool and unique. So in many ways, the new world is the old world to Malbec. And a lot of these wines that uh, that we're working with can really showcase that. So I did want to want to point that out. Oh, yeah. And also, too, it brings up a great point. Fun fact that for those of you who are fans of Bordeaux, right, Malbec is commonly used within those blends. However, it just, you know, doesn't get the limelight that Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc Merlot does. Um, yeah, that's awesome. What a cool bridge from the old to new. Cool story. And moving on to the last wine, uh, I think I mentioned it before, is that this was a fan favorite, a Cabernet Classic. And you can go ahead and take it away and tell us about this closing red. Yeah, so the Nicolas Catena Zapata is uh, one of the most iconic wines of the portfolio. Uh, it's the wine that really launched uh, a change in terms of how Argentine wines were perceived, not only domestically, but internationally. 
And our inaugural vintage of this wine was the 1997. Um, it has always been a predominant Cabernet Sauvignon blend with Malbec. It could be 40 to 50%, depending, kind of going back to that old style of Bordeaux blends uh, back at the time of classification uh, in Bordeaux. And so we started uh, with the Cabernet Classic last year. And, and when you and when you and I spoke, I thought, well, what, are, what cool wine can we show? And, and I thought, well, why not tell the story of not only the Cabena family, but through this wine, through library vintages. So this is a wine that has over 20 years of production. Um, it is a wine that definitely tells the story of Nicolas Catena's dream and bringing that to a reality. And this particular vintage, the 2018 vintage, um, we are just getting ready to release in market. And it is again, Cabernet focused with a little bit of Malbec. We played in some past vintages with a little bit of Cab Franc. Um, and it is just a wine that is just so unique, very old world in style. And, and really tells that, you know, essence and story of the family's, you know, connection to the past and wanting to bring the past uh, into the future through their wines. Yeah. And it's fitting that we get to try this wine in Napa, being that Napa is kind of, you know, the icon of Cabernet for the United States, um, both being from the new world and to be able to taste the differences between what I would associate as being a typical Napa cab versus this cab. Uh, the Nicholas Catena Zapata. I mean, it's it's so much fun. So I, I'm delighted that we get to try it again. Thank you for contributing that to the event. And in addition to Saturday's lunch, Catena is also going to be pouring at the Grand Tasting. So you can mm -hmm. stop by and check out some of the wines they're going to be featuring there. And if you're as impressed with the Nicholas Catena Zapata as many were at the Cabernet Classic last year, don't miss the Anything But Chardonnay bar on Saturday because we are lucky enough to be having a double magnum of the 2017 vintage. So you'll be able to try the 2018 at lunch, and then you can close out the day enjoying the 2017 at the Anything But Chardonnay Bar. And then lastly, Katana is also going to be participating in the Classics Tasting on Sunday. And this is going to be the counterpart of the wine we spoke to earlier, the Katana White Bones. Um, this is the Katana White Stones coming from the same vineyard. So Maria, tell us a little bit about this wine. Yeah, so the, this wine is one of my favorites by far. Um, it comes from this special parcel that just has a lot of like, you know, marine fossilization, lots of calcium carbonate. And um, it has specifically in the area some natural, uh, some natural herbs that grow that just offer this wonderful, almost minty, fresh style of wine that, you know, it's very unique to find. Um, it's one of the most, uh, I think one of the wines that stands out most to people when they taste wines from the portfolio and really gets people's attention, not necessarily because of the flavor profile, but because it's something that they've never tasted before. Okay. And so that kind of makes the whole story stand out to why this vineyard is so unique, why these wines um, are getting the attention of the international stage. So yeah, it's, I'm very excited to, to have it at the event and hopefully you guys enjoy. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, I mean, it's exactly what happened to me when I tried it. I was like, okay, Argentinian Chardonnay, I, I have an idea as what this is going to taste like. And I took one sip and I was like, oh my goodness, wow, this is unlike anything I've had pretty much from the new world. Um, and this completely redefines my, defines my expectations on what can be achieved in the new world for Chardonnay. So it was, <laughs> it was a treat. Can't wait. Can't wait for the 2019 this year. Uh, okay. With that, we're running out of time. So anything else you'd like to add? 
I would just like to say thank you so much for, uh, you know, the opportunity to showcase these wines uh, to your wonderful members, to the festival. Thank you for all the support you've given us. You know, you guys put on the, the event for both the Cabernet and the Chardonnay Classic last year under a very unique circumstance year. Um, as a supplier, it was just such a treat to work with you all. And I'm so impressed by not only, you know, the Trinitas sellers, but the, the event itself. So we're very excited to be a part of it again this year. Well, thank you very much. We echo those sentiments as well. It's been so much fun um, creating this relationship with you that started last year with uh, uncertain uncertainty in the water <laughs> around COVID and how it's going to impact the events. And it was it was a delight to be able to pull it off um, together last year. So we're excited to be able to continue the partnership. So thank you very much. With that, we are coming to a close here on episode five of the Chardonnay Classic series. But before we go, just want to remind you how you can buy tickets to the event. There's two different ways. You can visit chardonnayclassic.com and follow the ticketing link in the top right corner, or you can go directly to Ticket Sauce and search for the Chardonnay Classic. As stated before, we have several different ticketing options. If you just want to pick and choose a couple of these experiences, whether it be a lunch or a panel-led tasting or just maybe the grand tasting, um, you can totally do that. They are all available for sale in individual tickets. You can also buy day passes or weekend pass. Day passes, of course, give you access to everything in the day. Weekend passes give you access to everything throughout the entire weekend, um, with the cherry on top being the behind-the-bottle tasting on Friday. Um, the only way to get into that tasting is to have a weekend pass. So if you're interested in attending that particular experience, be sure to grab the weekend pass. Also this year, we are ecstatic to be able to have a one-stop shop offer for those who are interested in staying on site. There are two different ticket options for that. Um, it includes the weekend pass. It also includes your hotel room. It's going to be a suite or a traditional room, both being at the Vista Clina at the Meritage Resort. So if you'd want to just knock out all of your planning in one fell swoop, check out both of those passes. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer for the next podcast, please send those to podcast at meritageresort.com. And until then, have a fantastic week. I'm Ben Lazzarini with the Meritage Resort Podcast. <laughs>